Right, beloved, let's take our Bibles to Mark chapter 14, and let's read together this, um, this scene about Jesus praying, suffering in the garden. It's really an, uh, an amazing, an amazing scene. None of us can ever imagine what type of a struggle this was with Jesus. And as we will see, because this temptation that Jesus actually faced in the garden was very, very unique. It's just something that we would never face, this temptation. And so let's, let the Lord, may the Lord open your eyes to see the love of God for you and also the way to be saved and the way to conquer your sin as well. So let's read together Mark 14. Hear now the words of the living God. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray together. Father, we humble ourselves this afternoon under your word. Thank you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you that you have revealed and showed us the open heart of Christ. Father, I pray that we would walk away from this passage in adoration. That we'd walk away from this passage in worship of who you are, Lord. That we might also follow you and trust you and know that if, we, if you are our Savior, then our souls are utterly secure. So, Father, please come and teach us and help us to understand this text. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, beloved, this passage is one of those rare jewels of Scripture because it gives us an insight into the open heart of Christ. We see here in the garden a kind of suffering that you and I would never, ever experience. This was a battle which we cannot comprehend. The battle to submit under the will of God to drink His wrath. For countless millions of souls to save him. And what makes this so beautiful is that Christ overcame. Christ did not, not um, crumble under the pressure of this suffering and this temptation to, to take us a different route, a plan B of the cross. No, Christ is our champion. Christ is the one who came and defeated the giant with one stone. And we were those fearful Israelites, right, on the side, because we couldn't do anything. And here comes our champion, and he conquers, and he wins in our place. And then we look over from the Savior, and we look at the disciples sleeping. So we have a black and white view, right? It's 
the beautiful view of our Savior's sufferings, his prayer, his love, his submission under um, God's will and his glory. And on the other side, we have the ugly view of the disciples, their failure, their lack of watchfulness and prayer and their constant failure of Jesus. But don't judge the disciples too quickly, because as we look at the disciples, we see a picture of ourselves. As we look at them, we see glimpses of our failure, of our lack of prayer, our lack of watchfulness, because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And that's exactly why the gospel is such good news for us. Right? Remember the last, time, the last portion, the, the mock and sandwich of the Lord's Supper? The point there is, remember, Jesus gave himself not for the worthy. He gave himself not for those who succeeded. He gave himself not for the successful, but for the sleeping, failing, and weak disciples. Those are the ones for whom he died. And those are the ones who will share all of eternity with him. So let us come to the garden. Let us come and behold the glory of Christ and the ugliness of our sin. And may our failure and our sin that we see even in the disciples repulse us so that we will repent of that and follow him. So we'll look primarily at Christ and we'll see five aspects of Jesus in the garden. Five aspects of his glory which the garden of Gethsemane reveals to us. We'll see Jesus' anguish, Jesus' prayer, Jesus' disappointment, Jesus' counsel, and then we'll look at Jesus' victory. So let's first look at the, this intense anguish. That's the first point. The first aspect is Jesus' anguish that he experienced, the suffering that he went through in the garden. Notice in verse 32 to 34, it says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. This is one of those beautiful examples of Jesus' humanness that is shining through his emotions. And it's the combination of these words which makes the suffering so bad. The text says he was distressed and troubled. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He's saying to the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, my soul is so burdened, so anxious, so troubled, so sore, that it feels like I'm dying right now. This anxiety and stress of Jesus was so bad that he almost died in the garden. And that's why I called the three with him. One, to teach them a lesson of prayer and watchfulness, but also for them to pray for him. To pray, to pr pray for him because he needs that. He needs them as well to watch with them, to pray with them, and also for them to be ready for their coming temptation. So it's for them to be ready to face their trials and their temptations. And his emotions were so heavy that we read in verse 35. Look at verse 35. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Notice, this, notice the posture of Jesus. He falls on the ground. Jesus collapses before God, his Father, because of the sheer weight of his emotions that he's feeling at this moment. Now Luke gives us that added description that his sweat became like great blood or drops of blood. Now here's the million dollar question. Why was Jesus so troubled? Why was he so anxious? 
What made him so distressed? For him to say, I'm sorrowful even to death. Now that's important because up until now, Jesus was fearless of dying. He predicted, he knew what was going to happen to him at the cross. Remember, he predicted three times to the disciples that he is going to be handed over to be killed and to, be, and, and to die. And he even predicted that he will be raised from the dead. He set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. So why now? Why suddenly, at the prospect of the suffering of what is going to happen, is he so grieved? Now, this question is also important because as we look at church history and the way the martyrs have died in the past, we see them dying while they're singing. Many martyrs have died with courage, with boldness, with joy. So do we dare say that they had more courage than Jesus? May it never be. No, because there was a key difference between Jesus' death and all the other deaths of his people, right? Mark 10 verse 45 gives us the answer to why Jesus was so distressed. Listen to Mark 10 verse 45. It's really the center verse of the entire gospel of Mark. It says, Mark 10 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, what's the difference? His life was a ransom. He had to pay for the sins of his people. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God the Father made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2 verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So do you see what was this? Jesus is about to take something that he has never known. He's about to experience something that he has never experienced in his entire eternal existence. To bear the awful wrath of God for not just one man's sins. That's fearful already, right? Just your own life of sin is already enough. But not just for, he, for one man's sins, but for millions of people's sins. And all of the eternities of wrath consumed on the cross. James Edwards wrote, he's a commentator, he says, It's one thing, fearful as it will be, to answer for our own sins before a holy and an almighty God. Who can imagine what it would be like to stand before God to answer for every sin and every crime and act of malice and injury and cowardice and evil in the world? So here's the key answer to why Jesus was so troubled. He was not troubled by the physical sufferings, although that was horrific as well, but because of the fact that he will bear the eternal wrath of God for on his shoulders, be ripped away from the presence of his Father in those moments on the cross. Imagine entering into that darkness. And this is, why Jesus, this is what Jesus means when he says, and prays in verse 36. Look at verse 36, he says. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. 
So this cup, this cup refers to the cup of God's wrath. That's the picture of the Old Testament. The Old Testament picture, every time a cup is used, it's often referred to the cup of God's judgment for the nations. When God would give his cup to Babylon or his cup to another nation, that was referring to his judgment, his wrath. For example, Isaiah 51 verse 17 as well. And now Jesus will take this cup for every sin and he will drink it. Every adultery, every glance of lust, every lie, every act of selfishness, every murder, every sexual act of sin, every form of abuse, every act of pride against God, indeed every sin of those who will ever believe in him, he took on that cross. Jesus became our scapegoat who went away from the camp, who was led outside the camp into the wilderness. Beloved, can you, can you even begin to imagine anything worse than this? Can you imagine this intense suffering of Christ by the mere thought of being separated from His Father? But this is what makes this so good news. This is why this is the gospel. Jesus went through the horror of being abandoned by His Father so that you and I never have to fear that ever again. That we never have to fear being abandoned by God for our sins. Jesus went through the, the trouble and the sorrow of drinking the cup of God's wrath so that we would never drink that cup again. We will never hear those words, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So even if we might die for Christ, even if you might die a martyr, you can die with joy. Because death only reunites you to God. It unites you to Christ and to Him. So we can die singing. We can die with joy, with peace. Well, this is the first aspect of the garden that we should behold. Jesus' anguish over, the, over God's judgment. And that was for us so that there will be no condemnation for those who believe and are in Him. That's the first aspect. Here's the second aspect. The second aspect of, of this story we need to look is, is His prayer. Consider Jesus' prayer, how He prayed. Again, we have a beautiful view of not just Jesus' heart, but also how he prayed. And I want to just highlight five aspects of his prayer as well. The first aspect is notice his intimacy. Notice Jesus' intimacy with the Father in his prayer. Look at what he calls God in verse 36. Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for Father, like our modern word for Daddy. It's actually so cute. Jordan is now at that perfect stage where he just runs around, papa, 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 the whole day. And there's, it's the most beautiful. And yet there's a, there's a respect. Yet there is a reverent fear. And yet there is this freeness, right? That's the intimacy that Jesus had. He, and he calls God his Abba with a deeply respectful awe for him. It highlights his intimacy. Again, James Edwards write, writes and he says, Abba displays an intimacy, boldness, and a simplicity in address to God that was simply not characteristic of Jewish prayers. This is not how the Jews prayed. But Jesus had this intimacy with him. He came to God with his emotions. He hid nothing from him. He even prayed, Lord, is it possible to, take, to have a plan B? Is there a way? He came to him boldly with freedom. And what is amazing is that if you are in Christ, then you have this Holy Spirit in you who cries out out of our hearts, Abba, Father. We too 
Being united to Christ can call God our Abba, our Father, and share with Him our hearts, share with Him our emotions, share with Him even our temptations. And be open about that. Because, by the way, God already knows it. You can be free with Him. You can be open with Him. Romans 8 verse, 4, Romans 8 verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Are you fearful? Pray. Are you troubled? Anxious? Pray. Hide nothing from Him. Hide nothing from Him. Ask Him with boldness and freedom because He is your Abba Father. So that's the first aspect of His prayer. Notice His intimacy. But secondly, notice Jesus' temptation. Notice that Jesus actually went through an incredible temptation in this text. And we see it in what He asks for, right? In what He's actually praying for. Look at verse 35 and 36 again. He says, And for, He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Do you see what Jesus was tempted with here? He's tempted to avoid the cross, not because of the physical sufferings, but because of the horror of facing the, the wrath of God. He's genuinely tempted here not to drink this cup. He's honestly asking God if there's another way. Almost like Abraham, when he had to sacrifice Isaac, he's asking if the knife could be spared and a substitute could be placed. Just like in the wilderness, when Jesus was tempted with the devil, he was tempted to take a shortcut. That's almost all our temptations, right? To take a shortcut instead of the hard way of obedience. But let me just clarify something. This might sound like Jesus is weak Jesus is sinful even but let me make an, a massive massive clarification about Jesus temptation here and all of our temptation and I'm thankful and I'm indebted to John MacArthur that helped me to see this our temptation comes as James says in chapter 1 comes from within us right it says everyone is tempted by his own desire when we are when our desires see sin, there's a strong pull inside of our hearts towards that sin, right? We are attracted to sin by our sinful nature. We are tempted by our sinful natures, but Jesus was tempted in the opposite way. Jesus was tempted by His holiness. Let me explain. Christ is so holy, so pure never tasted sin, never had any incl inclination to sin. So he was tempted because now he's going to face the horror of becoming sin. That is what he was so repulsed at. His holiness saw the cup, saw the cup of sin, the cup of God's wrath and said, I, I hate this, I don't want this. In other words, where our sinful nature strongly tempts us and pulls us towards sin, Christ's holiness strongly pulled him away from sin. Do you see the difference? And yet, it's the only way. All things are possible for God, that is true, but it is impossible for God to go against His nature, to go against His word, to go against His promises. And He has promised that He will make a way to save us.
So Jesus has to die. If Jesus did not die, heaven would be empty, hell would be full, and we would all be lost. Which leads us to our third, third part of his prayer, his submission. So although he was tempted, look at his submission in his prayer. After wrestling with his own anguish, his temptation, Jesus comes to this beautiful ending at verse 36. Did you, did you, did you catch it? It says, Yet, not what I will, but what you will. I think here Jesus is modeling for us what it means to watch and pray. What it means to watch and pray that we may not enter into, into temptation. Jesus was watching and praying before he, got, he went to the cross. He had a desire to avoid the cross, but he had an even stronger desire to submit to his Father. Isn't that beautiful? He had a desire to avoid the cross, but he had an even greater desire to submit to the Father and to his will. So you could say he laid down his will in the garden so that he could lay down his life on the cross. Or to say it another way, he was crucified in his will in the garden so that he could be crucified in his body on the cross. He had to die there. And it's the same for you and me, beloved. It's the same for us. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. The first thing that needs to die is our will needs to bend and submit to the will of God. That's a type of a death, right? If you don't have a will that's for you anymore, who are you? And yet, here's the irony, you're only really free when you are the slave of Christ. There's only true freedom when you are the slave of Christ. To give, a, to give an illustration of this, it's like those missionaries that went and was going to cannibals, to, read, to preach the gospel to them and reach them with the gospel. And the boat driver who was taking them was an unbeliever. And he asked these missionaries, aren't you scared of dying? Aren't you scared these guys are going to kill you? And the missionaries looked at the, looked at the boat driver and said, what do you mean? We already died. And what they meant was, we already died. Our will has already been surrendered. We are dead men walking. We have a life to come. This is what true holiness looks like. It's a true and a total surrender to God's will. This was Jesus' ultimate submission, ultimate form of trusting his Father that even if he went, goes into the darkness, that he will come out of it. This was to trust his Father that he will not abandon him at the cross, not abandon him forever in the grave. He had to trust God by becoming sin for us, and that he would be raised from the dead as well. So that was his submission. And fourthly, notice his persistence as well. Jesus didn't just pray once. We read in verse 39, his persistence. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. He went back the second time, and he went back the third time. And remember, Jesus didn't do this because God didn't hear him the first time. Jesus needed to do this over and over again until his heart submitted fully, until he had peace. It's much, have you ever read the Psalms where it seems like they're just repeating the same prayer over and over again? And the, the, the point is the same. They prayed until they had a calm heart. And so with you and me, beloved, we should 
pray and be persistent in our prayers until our hearts are full and submissive to the will of God. And that will take time. That might even take weeks or months. But be persistent. That's what we learn as well. And notice as well, lastly, in his prayer, Jesus' perfection. Jesus' perfection. And what I, I want us just to stand back and look at him. Adore him for what he has done. He was not like Adam. He was not like Israel who failed with the test. He is the second Adam, our high priest, our good shepherd who laid down his life, the great king, the true prophet. He felt the most intense emotions of anguish, anguish, anxiety, distress, and yet he never sinned. He even felt these emotions repeatedly, like waves of the sea, and even then he never sinned. Jesus the Son of God is the perfect Savior. Praise the Lord. So as we look at His prayer, we, it shows us His glory. Behold His glory. Behold the glory of Christ. So in both Jesus' anguish and in Jesus' prayer, we see the glory of Christ. But now, let us turn our eyes from Jesus and let's look at the disciples. So here we will consider Jesus' disappointment. Notice Jesus' disappointment in this text. Look at verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? When's the last time you prayed one hour? Not even one hour? So he comes to Peter, the one who has just said he is willing to die for Jesus and he's not even willing to live one hour for Jesus. But what Peter did is what all the disciples did. Look at verse 40 to 41. It says, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Again, it's one thing to fail once, but it's another. It's embarrassing to fall three times. To fail three times. That's why they didn't, they didn't have an answer. They didn't know how to answer Jesus. They were ashamed. And Jesus wanted them and the inner three to pray, to watch, to, to pray for him and to pray for them, for themselves. And now they will learn this lesson that without watching and praying, they will learn this the hard way. Through spiritual disaster. So beloved, as we look at the disciples, we should see ourselves. How often do we prefer our own comfort Rather than to pray, how often do we allow our weak bodies to be the excuse for why we don't do something we need to do? How often are we sleepy, both spiritually and physically? And so are sitting ducks for our temptations. Our temptations just catch us by surprise. If you truly know yourself, you know what, I, what I'm talking about. And it's precisely because they haven't been watching and praying in the garden that they had no strength to stand for Jesus later. Again, John MacArthur, he writes and he says, the disciples needed to learn that spiritual victory goes to those who are alert in prayer and depend on God and that self-confidence and spiritual unpreparedness lead to spiritual disaster. That is a sombering lesson we all need to learn. 
If you're unprepared, if you're self-confident, it's going to lead to spiritual disaster. Which leads us to our fourth aspect. Jesus gives amazing counsel. Look at, so for these disappointing disciples, these failing disciples, he gives his counsel. And this is the counsel we should heed. This is the counsel we should learn and take. And just as a side note, isn't this amazing that although Jesus is in his most intense emotional sufferings, that he's still loving his disciples and still worried about their spiritual health. That is amazing as well. This is our high priest who loves us even when we are sleeping. But notice verse 38. Verse 38. This is Jesus' counsel, the fourth aspect. He says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That is the key to saying no when temptation comes. Watching here refers to that internal spiritual attitude of awareness, of alertness of your own sin and the temptation that's coming. So it's to be aware that you are weak. That's being watchful. It's to not trust yourself. Being alert is to know that sin is going to come. It's also to discern your heart if there's any doubt of God's love. If there's the devil who's accusing you of your sins. It's to be alert to, to look at that and see it for what it is. Lies. To not believe it. That's to be spiritually awake. Being watchful is that internal attitude of being awake to spiritual danger. And then prayer is the external response to watching. So when you see your weakness, when you see the temptation coming... The, the, the response we need to have is to pray. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. I need you, Lord. Help me. So watching sees the enemy come from afar. And praying is depending on God to overcome the enemy when it comes. Right? Watching is to see the enemy from afar. And praying is depending on God to help you and strengthen you to overcome your temptation when it comes. And this is why we fail. Like Peter, we do not do this. We depend on our own ability to say, and we say, I will never fall. I am, I am strong. So why pray if you can do it yourself, right? Why depend on God if you are powerful? Or perhaps we think that we only need to be watchful and prayerful at certain times. Also another lie. Almost like when the sun sets, the devil also goes to sleep. And we can rest a bit spiritually as well. But it is usually in those sleepy, dark hours of the day when we are most vulnerable, most tempted. When we are idle. When we are doing nothing. Let me remind you. The devil never sleeps. Even in vacation. Your sinful desires inside you are always ready. Always ready to pounce on the first Temptation that comes your way. And the world is ever ready to spoon feed your sinful desires. So the key principle is we should be watchful and prayerful at all times. Not just at, at certain times. Now you might say, but when will I rest? How can I do this all the time? Well, that's why it's first and mainly a spiritual discipline, not a physical discipline. It's a sp you can rest physically. And enjoy a hobby and enjoy a, 
your family and friends, and still be spiritually watchful over your own heart, over temptation, and prayerful to God. And the good news is, in this life, it is a warfare, but our rest is coming. Our rest is coming, and our rest will be eternal, when we will have no more sin. So, beloved, it's hard, but see the end. We, you and I are in a war. So learn to, even in your physical rest, even in your physical relaxation, to be spiritually alert, to be prayerful. So perhaps the key is that we should take these two things together. I think there's also the danger of taking only one or the other. Think about it. Not just watching is enough, but you must watch and pray at the same time. So if you just watch, that won't help you. Just realizing that you are weak, just realizing you're prone to sin, and then trying to overcome your sin with your own power leads to failure. And the opposite is also true. Just praying is not enough as well. Because there's a type of prayer that is sleepy, oblivious to your own sin, oblivious to the temptation, ignorant of your own sin and your weakness. So, beloved, you should take both of them. Watchful over your own weakness and the, the spiritual danger and prayerful, depending on God, to overcome your sin. That's the key. And that is Jesus' amazing counsel for you and me. Let us use it. Beloved, but let me close with an encouragement. Let me encourage you. Let's consider, lastly, Jesus' victory. Jesus' victory in this passage. Jesus' counsel shows us the victory is watching and praying. And he did that in our place as well. And as our example. Jesus is our high priest who prays for us. So first, Jesus did watch and pray in our place as our representative. Where the disciples failed, Jesus succeeded. When Adam failed and sinned, he obeyed. When Israel disobeyed, he obeyed. Where you failed, Jesus obeyed. Even in your failure, remember that you are not saved by your obedience. You're not saved by your watchfulness, by your prayerfulness. Every failure of yours has been taken on the cross and the obedience that you lacked has been given to you as a gift. Remember that. Rest in that gift of His righteousness. Let that your guilty conscience be soothed by His love for you, by His grace. That's the first thing that we can see in Jesus' victory. He, his victory was in our place. But secondly, as a way of command, His prayer and His life was also a way of example for us. So not only should we rest in His grace, but then we should copy Him. We should imitate Him, Right? Listen to 1 Peter 2 verse 21. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, not just to take away your sins, but leaving you an example, so that you can follow in His steps. So He's more than just our Savior. He's also our Lord. We follow Him. In other words, Jesus' victory in the Garden of Gethsemane over temptation and sin can also become your victory as you follow Him in watching and praying. So this is important. As a child of God, as a saint, as the bride of Christ, as the spirit-indwelled temple of God, as the church, you and I can overcome every sin by watching and praying. So here's what I want to suggest for you to do. If you can, if you have time, tonight, tomorrow, whenever you have time, go somewhere where you can be absolutely alone with God. 
If you have a garden or your room or somewhere where you can go, be alone, close your door, switch off your phone, and then pray this. Lord, where in my life do I still depend on me? Where in my life do I just depend on my own strength, my own will? Where is my will still alive to my will and not to your will? Where must I say, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done? Pray that. And then ask the Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to search your heart to see if there is any wicked way in you. Ask yourself, where am I not watching and praying? Where am I allowing temptation to overcome me? Then go to God. Be watchful and then go to God and ask Him. Lay down your will right there, right then. So that you too can pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And here I want to bring to your attention something that I've only recently realized. You should not just be watchful over sin. You know, when we talk about watchfulness, we talk about things that tempt you directly to sin. But we should also be watchful over anything that kills your desire for God, that kills your desire for prayer, for the Word of God. So, so I think, honestly, we've been asking ourselves the wrong questions. You know, I think we've been asking, is, is it wrong and sinful to watch series? Is it wrong and sinful to watch movies, to watch YouTube, to play games? But honestly, beloved, that's missing the issue. The, the true question is this, does your habits destroy your spiritual taste buds for the Bible? Does your entertainment or your free time, if that's a horrible phrase anyway, your free time, but does your, what you do with your life destroy your desire for prayer, your desire for God's word? And if so, be watchful and pray. Be watchful even over those things that are not sinful in and of themselves, but are numbing your heart, numbing you to see God's glory and to love Him and to worship Him. That's something you and I must do individually. This is not, there's not a law or rule that says if you watch X amount, you have crossed over. There's no such thing. This is something you need to look into your own heart. Ask yourself, do you desire God? Do you desire His Word? Do you desire prayer? If not, is there anything that is throwing the water on the fire? Is there anything that's killing that desire? And if so, then cut that off or at least limit it, right? And that's what we must do. And that's how we can follow Jesus as well in his example of watching and praying. So beloved, this is the open heart of our Lord. We see him in his anguish, but also in his victory. Number one, we saw his anguish over the wrath of God. Number two, we saw his prayer, how it shows us his glory, how he prayed, and we should imitate him as well. We saw his disappointment with the failure of the disciples. And yet, number four, we saw his counsel that he did still love them, still counsel them. So we should heed his counsel and his grace. And we saw Jesus' victory for us and also as our example. So, lover, that is what we should see here. He is our Savior. He is the victory that we needed to have. He is the champion that we can rest in His grace. And then let us watch and pray so we may not enter into temptation. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
I just want to give a short moment of silent prayer. Let's just use a time now just to be quiet before the Lord. Ask Him to search your heart, to reveal your heart to you, and then rely on Him and come to Him for His grace and His mercy to help you. So let's use this time now to do that. Father, we confess that we are weak. We confess that so many times, like the disciples, our spirit is so willing, but our flesh is so weak. Lord, this, the burdens of a Genesis 3 world, the burdens of living in Ecclesiastes world, is sometimes so overwhelming that we just want to sleep, that we just want to forget about the world, forget about the life around us. Thank you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that He has overcome where we have failed, that He has taken and become a curse for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank You that in His body You bore the, our sins on the cross and that we can have the future hope, the hope already now that we will spend all of our eternities with You. But Father, until then, we are in a war and I pray Help us to be sober-minded, even over the, this last month, Lord, this vacation season, this festive season. Lord, even though we might rest physically, I pray, Father, give us a spiritual watchfulness, a spiritual awareness of our own hearts. Help us not to deceive ourselves. Help us to be honest with ourselves as well and to repent of anything we need to repent of and commit ourselves in prayer, depending on you and asking for the grace we so desperately need. Father, thank you that you are ready able, powerful, and gracious to hear our every prayer because you love us and you are almighty. Lord, nothing is impossible with you and you can change our hearts and we thank you for that. So Father, as we close the service, Father, I pray that you might take our hearts, bind it to your throne of grace, bind it to yourself and help us, Lord, to love you and to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.